Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I'm Zach. And Adam, you know what I'm feeling today? (laughs) What are you feeling? Well, I am sitting here in this nature lodge where I see (laughs) at least four different images of a trout uh, around me. Okay. And I'm really, I'm really wanting to uh, get in touch with my roots. Just get on back to the good days. I feel like that. Like you're feeling a little nostalgic. I am. I want to. I want to get back to the days where we would hunt for our fish and cook them up, and just you know, like back to the way things were before we got so into these podcasts and. This technology and whatever else the kids are doing these days. I just, I want to get to a place where Wi-Fi is not an option. I don't know exactly what I'm feeling, but I'm feeling like I just want to go back home again. Like, but to like the feeling of home. Well, that's good to hear because this whole episode is sort of about original recipe X-Men creators, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And that is all thanks to Brian Hewson. Brian went over to Patreon.com and he said, Guys, I'd like you to talk about uh, Excalibur number 41 through 47 by Alan Davis, uh, The Righteous Return of You Know Who, uh, where (laughs) Alan Davis comes back to Excalibur and he writes and draws the whole dang thing. And I got to tell you, it's pretty delightful. Oh my god, it is damn near perfect comics. I I mean, I, I think I, I tweeted earlier this week that this was the week that I finally learned to love Excalibur. And I really? feel kind of bad. Yeah, I feel like kind of bad about this because I've always appreciated the original run. You know, like the first couple issues before they get to Cross Time Caper. But I'm telling you, man, this right here is like Apex Comics. It's pretty freaking good. Yeah, this is a... I get the feeling you like it more than me. Uh, okay. But that's fine. Because uh, this is this is all Alan Davis. And Alan Davis draws very good characters. Uh, and it's, it's kind of a reset for Excalibur. Because they had been floundering ever since Claremont left. Like, there was a good, like, ten issues where no one knew what to do with them. Uh, and Alan Davis comes back, and what's interesting is he he does this thing where he tries to just pull in a bunch of plot threads that just got dropped over the years in Excalibur, while also completely splitting up the team for this arc, which is an interesting tactic just to start out, though, you know, you could argue this was definitely not Alan Davis starting out with anything. It was him coming back to something. Yeah, it's a fascinating arc in that he is taking every sort of loose end that's gone all the way back to the sword is drawn and saying, here's what was going on. Like, 
and and he does it in a way that is really really fun um you know this is the arc where nightcrawler starts to end men with the with uh, the technet villains oh yeah um, Cap- nightcrawler tries to make technet into superheroes uh, because <laughs> nightcrawler has a broken leg and all of excalibur has gone on their own adventures and nightcrawler's like well someone needs to do something yeah uh megan and rachel go off on their uh, a sort of like spiritual quest to figure out megan's origin story um kitty's not really around for most of this because she goes off with uh the uh, alistair stewart from the weird happenings organization and she's setting up the next arc Mm -hmm. uh and captain britain gets to get go on trial with the uh, the britain Corps. yeah uh there's a good the the captain britain Corps scenes are just alan davis flexing it's just him saying hey guys watch me draw real good stuff uh, this is where we get introduced to Brother Britman, who is Captain Britain from Earth-65, and he's a hippie. <laughs> yeah, it's great. And and talk about flexing. Like, there's so many amazing moments in uh, the illustration here that just make me go, wow. Um, there, are, there are special effects that he's doing on the page that are enhanced by some of the color work. Uh, especially when uh, Rachel and, and Megan encounter, um, what is the guy's name in the chains that they, that they encounter in the trailer? He's he's part of the Neuri. Is that is that? I think I that's right. Is. I'm gonna be uh, I'm gonna be honest with you. Uh, theirs was the storyline that bored me the most, so okay. I don't remember it much. Like I like Megan as a character a ton, and mm-hmm. I want to see more interesting stuff done with her. Uh, but I don't think this particular arc is the best thing for Megan. And then Rachel doesn't get to do a huge amount. But Alan Davis then has her fight Galactus later. So he does <laughs> right. a good Rachel. Just like their their interactions aren't my favorite of this particular arc. I love the Nightcrawler stuff. And I love the Captain Britain stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am just... I, it's funny. We uh, had a conversation before the issue of house of x came out house of x4 or no house of x5 um with uh gold balls returning with with tempest and hope and i remember distinctly you said to me uh without me using any expletives you were like this is your kind of bs and <laughs> you were right um these issues i always are- am yeah sure uh these (laughs) these issues are like right up my alley um tons of silly characters everybody interacting in these amazing teams of of weirdness i I just really enjoyed this arc and and it is just undeniable how talented alan davis is by the time we get to 87 um we've got a two-page spread of one of the tech net characters numbers has procreated with a dragon and all of their dragon babies are flying all over this two-page spread it's just miraculous what he's able to do yeah uh i think i think the technic stuff gives alan davis a real chance to shine here and one thing that alan davis is you know definitely underrated on is his comedy and his use of timing Mm -hmm. because one one advantage that comics has with the panel layouts is a better control of pace. Uh, so you can make someone, you know, wait longer before switching their eyes or 
you know, force them to jump faster with the way that you lay this out. And Alan Davis uses that for incredible comedic timing. Uh, and it, it just works out so well, especially when you got characters like Technet, who Technet are bounty hunters from space, and they're all super friggin' weird. One of them's a fat baby in a chair. <laughs> Joy Boy. Who Joy goes missing Boy, at some point? Joy Boy does go missing. It becomes a plot point. <laughs> yeah. No, but you, you bring up an interesting point. There, there are such smart uses of the comics medium here. Um, there's when, when we haven't talked about Kylon, um, but Kylon's story is, is um, drawn back all the way back to, I think it's Excalibur number two. Number two. Um, and Widget putting a, a little kid through a portal. Um, but when Kylon storms in on Nightcrawler, who is brushing his teeth in the morning, there's this great sequence where it looks like he's put his sword through Nightcrawler's neck and the tiles behind him are cut, but Nightcrawler can't figure out why his neck isn't cut. And and there are just these amazing sequences like that throughout here that you can just tell Alan Davis is such a, a master of this medium. Yeah, there's a lot of really good stuff in this. Uh, and speaking of Kylan, one other thing that Alan Davis does in this arc, and he'll continue to do into the next one, is seeding his characters uh, for Excalibur. Uh, just the people that he wants to use more, just the new blood he wants to add. Kylan is someone that a lot of people like. He gets a fun introduction here as Space Conan, Mutant Boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, Kylan stuff's not actually my favorite. I think Kylan's it just doesn't scratch the right itch for me. Like, I feel like... If I was in on the joke of Kylan, I'd be down for it. But I was never a big Conan guy. <laughs> and I I never read, like, uh, The Princess of Mars or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, I can look at it and see, I know what you're going for. I bet there's a lot to enjoy if I understood this, but I don't, Alan. Uh, well, I, but- I think what you're saying is really important. And, and it ties into why I sort of have always felt a little bit disconnected with Excalibur as a series. And that's because if it's not Alan Davis, I, I don't know. Like, I don't feel as connected to this lineup and to the wacky universe that they inhabit. So um, it's totally understandable and fun to see characters like Micromax and Cerise and Kylan sort of get their due here. Um, but you can see that in anybody's hand, other, any other's hands, like it doesn't necessarily work or fly. Yeah. There's a reason why Kylan doesn't show up ever again. <laughs> and Cerise doesn't though. Both Kylan and Cerise have shown up in like the last 12 months of comic books. So. Hey, why not? Um, I also appreciate that Alan Davis just like straight up retcons previous Excalibur stories from the last year, um, like one of the Excalibur specials, and he's just like, "Yeah, that didn't that didn't happen the way you thought it happened." That that felt like he went out of his way to retcon it. Like he spent <laughs> yeah. some time doing that. Uh, but this is this is a fun story. It sets up some good stuff. The Alan Davis run of Excalibur, uh, his solo run on this is real solid and i think it's something that well especially at the time got completely overlooked because what else was coming out uh the jim lee run of x-men so people were a bit distracted and didn't want this goofy book that was legitimately behind the times and i don't say that in a negative way but it's hard to believe that this is a contemporary to rob's x-force or something like that you know 
Well, and it's absolutely wild to think that this is, I, I don't even know how to dis- the, describe the difference between some of the formal approaches that Alan Davis is using here in terms of how to lay out a page, um, how to think about it in terms of camera angles, in terms of expressions. Mm-hmm. And then to <laughs> completely on the opposite side of the coin, we, we have these young uh, artists who are coming out of the woodwork and, and aren't necessarily thinking about it that way. And it, it's really a lot about style and, and action. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas this is just like I said, it's masterful storytelling. Absolutely. Now, we uh, talk about storytelling a lot on our list. We do. Uh, we currently have 279 books on our uh, Battle of the Atom Master list. Uh, topping out the list at number one is Dark Phoenix Saga. Um, about halfway through at 150, we have X-Men Gold 30, Till Death to Us Part. And all the way down at 279, we have the very dreadful The Draco. We do. Okay. And that's bad. That uh, is bad. Here's here's what I'll say definitely for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is better than Excalibur 61, Truth and Consequence, which is that time that they fight Galactus. Sure. I, I would agree with that. Um, this is... That's at uh, 79, by the way. Yeah, this is a really fleshed out story. It's Alan Davis sort of reclaiming this book, and it is absolutely gorgeous. Um, so I would agree that it is better than uh, that that sort of one shot issue um, with Phoenix fighting Galactus, even though that is absolutely gorgeous. Um, how high are you willing to go, Adam? Is it better than a? Here's here's a very comparable story, and I want to uh, I want to know how you feel. Yeah. Is it better than Mojo Mayhem from Excalibur? I think it is. I th- I, I, I think it is. I, I'm just thinking in terms of like what makes Excalibur Excalibur in terms of its goofiness and its it's just general almost Monty Python-ness likeness. Um and, and this nails this in a in a really fun way, and no disrespect to Art Adams, but man, Alan Davis is like He's drawing his butt off here, and it's outstanding. Mm-hmm. Um, up, just looking up the list, uh, do you think this is better than X-Men Season 1 at number 51? Um, yes, I actually okay. do. Well, I'll say that my hard, hard limit, this is not better than Astonishing X-Men uh, dangerous, which is at number forty-three right now. Okay, um, I, I, I think I dangerous gonna, wins out. Yeah, I was going to go a little lower. Um, at forty-nine, we have the Jeff Johns Morlocks, and okay, I, I, and above that is the Magic Mini. Um, I don't know. I think those are bringing some similarly unique viewpoints to this universe, and are, and are done in some really interesting ways. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't um, know if I would go much higher than that. I think you put it between those two. Okay. Yeah. It's a good place. So this is going to be our new 49. It and that is. that is Excalibur 42 to 47, the righteous return of you-know-who, uh, who happens to be Alan Davis. 
<laughs> yeah, his name's Alan. He's great. Uh, but Alan Davis is not the not... Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, sorry. <laughs> Alan Davis is not the only uh, writer to get the blessing to go back to a story that he previously wrote in a, to a team. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the second story that we've got... Uh, comes from Marvel Superheroes Seasonal Special. Uh, <laughs> it was summer, fall, winter, all this stuff. Yes. Uh, six through eight. Uh, this is one yeah. story in this. Uh, it is writ- The first issue is written by Roy and Dan Thomas. Mm-hmm. Uh, Roy the boy, who was the you know a longtime writer on Silver Age X-Men. Uh, with uh, art on the first issue, number six, by Rich Buckler. Uh, number seven, Roy writes solo, and Larry Alexander does the art. And mm-hmm. on number eight, uh, Roy Roy doesn't finish out this arc. Uh, Michael Higgins <laughs> crazy, does. Right? Yeah, and MC Wyman uh, does the art on this one. So this is, this is weird. Uh Adam, did you happen to pick up Marvel's quarterly, uh, you know, big specials? You know, I never really encountered these growing up, and I, I'm kind of surprised I didn't because this would be like my jam. I recently encountered one. Um, it it kind of makes me want to go back and look at the run because I encountered one while I was long box digging recently, and it had like a very strange, very poorly illustrated five page magic story in it. Um, oh, that story has a lot of really good ideas and is yeah, bad. Yeah, but it's I, interesting. It's about Belasco's other student, right? Yeah, very strange stuff. So, um, you know, th- this one is no exception. Um, it's 1991 when this is coming out, and yet we're getting an Aussie X Men story, and Roy Thomas is writing it, and yet it harkens back to a Silver Age uh, uh, Sentinel story. Yeah, so you guys remember the time the Sentinels went into the sun? I do. Because <laughs> Cyclops convinced them to. <laughs> hey, John Hickman certainly does. Jeez, it's so true. Oh, it's the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, well, <laughs> Roy Thomas liked that idea enough to uh, bring those Sentinels back during his Avengers run. Uh, and have them beaten again. Those exact mm. same Sentinels. They just like did a loop around the sun and came back. And then he brings them back again here in this Aussie X-Men story that's just like if it if it wasn't such a weird like switching of creative teams and everything, I would have sworn this was like this was like an ash can kind of book they made or something to say hey uh if claremont ever misses a deadline we can we can slot <laughs> these three in yeah they're full yeah, 20 it, page it stories has, it's about the quality of a marvel comics presents off story right like i, right. I don't think we're we're not talking about something that's that's super high quality and i get the impression that uh despite the third issue here being the absolute classic debut of uh, Steve Ditko working on Squirrel Girl. Um, oh yeah, that part's good. Let's we're not going to talk <laughs> about it, but th- the last issue also introduces Squirrel Girl in a different story. Yeah, and uh, has Doctor Doom saying, "Confound these vexing rodents." 
<laughs> I just get the idea that uh, this was, you know, a chance for them to, I, I don't know. I mean, they, they're putting some higher profile artists on the covers. We've got an Art Adams cover. We've got an Eric Larson cover. And then when you open it up and you're looking through these and you're going, oh, man, these, are, these stories are kind of dull. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so what also this is a this Hulk. One? This is a Hulk story. Did we mention that? Yeah, it's about the sort abomination of? and Gamma being something the Sentinels want to get rid of. Yeah, so this is a story about the Sentinels basically getting together and trying to sterilize all of mankind. Um, and they're going to do this by abducting Abomination and Doc Sampson. And with a little help from the X-Men, they're going to succeed in their goal. Um this also turns out to be a revenge plot in the third issue by, is it Larry Trask's daughter? Who, no. Okay. Who, who is it? It's well, not, there, it's there's a Trask. Trask. There's a Trask involved earlier yes. in the story. Uh, but hearkening back to his original Silver Age story where Larry Trask is working with his family's lawyer, uh, his family's lawyer's daughter now wants revenge and uploads her entire mind uh, into a sentinel. And because she has cancer and she's going to die, and then instead of sterilizing the earth, does do the most sentinel thing ever, which is fly into the sun. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. So uh, I don't think there's a lot to recommend here. Like, I would not say really go out and and dig through long boxes trying to find this particular story it is it's just so weird it's very strange it doesn't nail the characters at all it, no it's supposed to be an aussie x-men story but it does not get this era in any way shape or form also dazzler and longshot just aren't there yeah no they're not there um there, I just don't think it, it gets it at all. There's this weird moment where Rogue is talking about how creeped out she is by Gateway, which doesn't line up at all. Yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't, uh, that's a weird thing to throw in there, Roy the boy. <laughs> they're, you know, they're constantly talking about how the world thinks they're dead, but then they're walking around in public spaces and, you know, people are like, you're dead. Well, yeah, people think we're dead. Ha ha. Um, yeah, I just don't get it. This it's is just, not good. Um, the art this is, is this is a bad one. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting experiment. Like it, it definitely points to like a very strange goal of putting these giant blockbuster specials together quarterly. But it's it's too much of a mess to to recommend. I'll be honest. There's a part of me that. Because Claremont wrote the X-Men for so long, and even the people who got to touch the X-Men were Claremont's close counterparts. I mean, it was Claremont and Wheezy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That was about it, uh, who got to do anything with X-Men for 17 years. It makes me so interested to see what, like, Frank Miller's X-Men or... Walt Simonson's X-Men or, you know, pull people from that 80s Marvel time mm-hmm. and just do a X-Men story with them just to see, you know, not today, not nowadays, but like in their prime, 
how would they have viewed the X-Men and how would they have changed it? Because, you know, you see Roy Thomas, who what he's essentially doing is taking this very modern, some would say cutting edge for the time team (laughs) and doing a Silver Age ass story with it. It like say what you will about Roy Thomas. This is a Roy Thomas comic. Oh, big time. Big time. Um, but yeah, I don't think there's a lot to recommend here. And uh, I, I, you know, it's not offensive by any stretch of the imagination, but it's also just so slight and not getting the characters right that um, I, I think you, you could skip it unless you're like an absolute completist. Which I am, and which is why I read it. Because <laughs> uh, once I knew it existed, I couldn't not read it. Yeah. No, it, it, you want to see what Roy Thomas coming back to the X-Men in 1991 looks like. Um, and and, we'll and see it looks example. bad. Uh, yeah, it, it, in this case, it, it is not good. So uh, how low is this going to go? I, I feel like we're in uh, in 264 Shadow Games territory here. Um, This is probably better than Shadow Games. Okay. All right. Maybe. Okay, well, hold on. Now I'm looking at this list. So yeah. another another guy who came back uh, is in number 254 on our list right now, which is uh, X-Men 100 to 102 Revolutions when Claremont came back to the book. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, that has the Neo, but I, <laughs> I, I think that story with its Neo Francis U art is better than this. Okay, uh, below that we have Captain Marvel Volume Three, two to three. That story's I, bad. That story's bad. So, so maybe this goes in between those two. What do you think? Well, well, okay, 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 okay. Just a few spots down is Uncanny X Men, uh, Morlocks Take Manhattan, which I think yeah. I like. this isn't better than Phalanx Covenant Life Signs, though. No, right? it's not. Jeez. Um, um, oh, dang, it... you know what? Here's here's what I think I would say. Okay. Um, this is... I'm going to call it worse than Shadow Games. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm going to go as far as to say this is better than the Shatterstar Saga, but not as good as Excalibur 1 through 4. How do you feel about that, Adam? I think the... that's a good place for it. Yeah, that's Excalibur that... Volume Three, by the way, folks. Yes, which does not feature any members of Excalibur. That's <laughs> uh, Callisto with tentacle arms. Uh, all right, so our new two sixty eight is what are we calling this? The Roy Thomas. This the is this Marvel is... Quarterly Special. We're gonna call it Marvel mm-hmm. Superheroes Seasonal Special. That's right. what we're gonna go with. I like that. Really special with Roy Thomas, who actually is going to make a second appearance on our program in just a moment. He is, because uh, we're going to talk about, okay, here's the, you know, Scout's Honor, here's the truth. We originally planned on talking about X-Men Forever, the first arc of that, but I read mm-hmm. that recently. I read that whole run, and when I was sitting down to read it, I sent Adam a message, and I said, Adam... I don't want to do this. 
Can we not? <laughs> no one requested this one. This isn't what Brian said to talk about. Uh, so we aren't talking about X-Men forever. But in the spirit of this, we are going to talk about a time when a bunch of creators came back to the book. Yeah. And this um, is... This is X-Men Gold, number one. It's a one-shot for the 30th anniversary of X-Men. Um, and we have quite the creative team here. Uh, stories by Chris Claremont with Bob McCloud. Um, mm -hmm. Stan Lee teams up with the Simonsons. We have uh, Roy Thomas and what's the artist on the Roy Thomas story? Pat, uh, Pat Oliphant. Oliphant, thank you. Uh, Len Wine and Jorge Molina and Fabian Nicieza and Salvador La Roca. Um, yeah. Which this like, is. That's a lot of X-Men creators. Yeah. And you know what? Like, I, I, I remember when this came out and uh, it has this absolutely gorgeous Olivier Coipel cover um with some x you know x-men from different eras on, on the cover and uh i i gotta say rereading this uh, this is an interesting sort of like x-men digest intro thing like it does what you might expect uh, a 30th anniversary special would do yeah uh well you say 30th this is closer to 50th but oh i keep saying i'm i'm sorry i'm reading it wrong it is the 50th sorry uh, yeah, it's interesting. So the first story is by Claremont and Bob McCloud. Uh, Bob McCloud, for those of you who don't recognize it, is a co-creator of The New Mutants. Mm -hmm. uh, and it is pretty much, like, slotted in between Uncanny 173 and 174. <laughs> like, yeah. it, it, it could only take place at one very specific time in continuity. Mm -hmm. uh, and which Which is interesting, because that's, like... That's like what I think of as the most pure Claremont X-Men era. Yeah, I would agree. And this story brings in a lot of those elements. The Star Jammers are here. Lalandra's here. Madeline Pryor's here. Mm -hmm. uh, you got Kitty Pride and a you know fresh rogue. Uh, <laughs> and the, the X-Men have to fight some Sentinels. And that's about yes. it. Yeah, it's, it's a not Russian... deep. It's a Russian doll sentinel that uh, once you open the one sentinel, it has little sentinels inside of it. Uh, oh yeah, it's a it's a master mold that that <laughs> that makes other master molds. Yeah, um, you know the one thing I would say about the story is that you know it's not taking any risks. Chris Claremont's playing it very safe and just sort of doing a here is an introduction to who the X Men are uh, in this particular era. And, uh, you know, this is not, I would say, Bob McCloud's strongest work. Um, he's no, drawn much I tighter. I uh, You know, there's some weird facial expressions in the mix here. Um, the Sentinel design of the little Sentinels is very strange. So it's Bob is an amazing artist. Um, I, I would not say that this is him at his peak by any stretch of the imagination. But there is some, like, there is a fun factor to seeing the two of these guys uh, paired up again. Yeah, it's this was never going to be a revolutionary story, but if the entire pitch of this is, hey, do a victory lap, be like, y'all, you, you guys did X-Men and you did it pretty good. This is a good this is a good team and a good way to tell that story. It's 
just it's innocuous it doesn't hurt anything it's not great but it's enjoyable to see especially uh because this was i i feel like this was the first time in a good little bit where claremont got to do anything like with the real x-men yeah no that's true uh we've seen it a little bit more often recently but uh he hadn't done anything for a while um yeah uh i'll be honest I'd, i'd rather I'd rather him uh, only get limited opportunities with the actual X-Men because <laughs> love you, Daddy Chris. You and me think of different things when we think of X-Men nowadays, which is fine. Well, we'll see. Maybe maybe we'll see him in the next uh, X-Men holiday special should there ever be a sequel to that. But um, this issue also contains uh, some other weird treats. Uh, I think the Stanley Simonson's uh, joint, which is very short, is a very weird one um especially given that yeah the credit for plotting it is louise simonson and yet yeah, the story so... revolves around the male x-men battling in the danger room to get a date with gene so i i think the creative team is interesting on this so on plotting you have uh louise simonson wheezy uh stanley scripted this and this is actually his last uh original scripted thing for marvel before he passed Oh, I didn't know uh, that. That's interesting. Yeah, he has one other credit uh, on a Captain America story, uh, but that was a old story that they uh, just got around to drawing. Like, it was mm. something where he had a loose plot written somewhere. Uh, but this is this is the last thing he really did for the company. And, you know, to his credit, he was in his mid-90s at the time. <laughs> uh, and I, I think what they were going for is Louis Simonson saying, hey— what would a Stan Lee Silver Age X-Men like five pager look like? And it would just be the X-Men doing something silly and then having an oddly uh, stern Cyclops and uh, Xavier moment at the end. <laughs> um, you know, what's also interesting is if you do remove Stan Lee's script from this, you could pretty much like in the Marvel way, you could kind of apply whatever story, script you wanted to this and and still make it kind of make sense like it doesn't have to be about the guys fighting over gene um it's really just about them racing down a hallway and sort of wrestling a little bit in the danger room before that's it it's over yeah and th- um, this is i like the art on this it's good walt simonson art with bob wyachek uh doing his inks yeah which is pretty yeah. to see Love Bob uh, Wyachek. Um, do you want to point out on all these stories because... Orskowski. Uh, yeah, Tommy Ors. Tommy Ors does this. Does all of the does all the letters, which is beautiful. Yeah, that's another fun thing is like seeing names like Bob Wyachek and, and Orskowski as part of the lineups here. And you're going, oh man, this is cool. They got, they got the, the team back together. Um, the... Roy Thomas story is uh, Banshee and Sunfire hanging out. It's very unnecessary. <laughs> uh, yeah, Banshee and Sunfire talk about country music for five pages. And go visit Graceland? Sure. Yeah, look, look. Banshee is uh, has a history of country music appreciation being one of his things. Uh, but also, like banshee talking about chess records is just such a wild thing (laughs) that i cannot believe that's in a comic book 
I don't know. I, I guess uh, Roy Thomas thinks that uh, Banshee's from the South. I don't know. Well, no. So Roy Roy's Banshee's creator. I'll give him that. Okay. Well, you can do uh, what he wants there. Yeah, it's in it's a it's a character trait. So, like, if you go back to Giant Size X Men number one. Charles Xavier recruits Banshee at the Grand Old Opry, and it's never commented on. Oh, that's true. Man, I haven't thought about that in a while. Yeah, it's this is one of those look, Roy Thomas is well known. Like he was he was the first fan to get hired by Marvel. Uh, and he did what all fans do, which was make all of his all of continuity make sense through wild fan theories. And <laughs> like if you're gonna give a Roy Thomas story kind of beautiful that he chooses the most ridiculous and obscure thing of Banshee. Banshee said he liked country music once uh, in writing a whole story around it. This is Roy Thomas's good Banshee country fanfic, and I am here for it. Well, speaking of fanfic, the Len Wein story of the, the late great Len Wein uh, is basically about a moment in Giant X-Men uh, number one where the team has assembled before they go to Krakoa and Wolverine is just sitting there thinking about how to kill the rest of the team. Yeah, uh, Jorge Molina does a good job uh, doing the art on this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, this is a weird uh, Len Wein saying, man, guys, I created Wolverine. Isn't isn't he dope? <laughs> Yeah, uh, and really, in his mind, the only character that he really doesn't think he can beat, Wolverine is uh, can't figure out how to beat Storm, um, which I think is fun. Which but, Len uh, Wein also created Storm, uh, so yeah. yeah. Which um, again, this is this is the kind of story that I would hate anywhere else, but in like a celebration of the fiftieth anniversary, like it's fine to sit around and pat each other on the back and say, "Man, Wolverine's badass!" Right, guys. <laughs> The one story here that I think is is pretty unique is the the Fabian Nicieza story um, with Salvador Larocca on art. Yes, um, which is taking place inside Magneto's mind as Charles Xavier erases his consciousness in Fatal Attractions. Yeah, it's it's interesting because uh, you keep getting glimpses of something's happening and. You know, it's it's direct lines being lifted from fatal attractions and being recontextualized. And what's kind of beautiful is uh, what Fabian Nicieza does is he softens the moment a bit for Xavier because mm-hmm. that's a that's a big harsh thing that he does. And the way he plays it is is that as Xavier was destroying Magneto's mind and saying no more Magnus, no more. He lets Magneto see his dream of the world of, you know, Charles and Magneto being like co-leaders of the, uh, you know, the mutants coming together with humans. Yeah. And it's it's a good moment. I really, I like what that story's trying to do. And Mm -hmm. I like the overall message of it. I don't know if it's executed perfectly, but it's, again, it's like a really cool... Uh, continuity idea that I'm glad that Fabian Nicieza got a chance to uh, throw out there. Yeah, I think it's really neat, especially because the story ends with uh, obviously the the giant shadow of Onslaught being uh, formed out of the the wreckage around the two of them. Um, It's just... I I missed that, but you're absolutely right. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, and there's there's another, like... A moment where uh someone i think it's bastion is actually standing 
it might mm-hmm. be Bastion. I'm not sure. It's, it's holding an onslaught is coming sign um, in yes. the audience in front of the UN. Like, I just like some of the touches here that, that um, you know, set this within that certain era. Like, if you're going to flash back to a certain time period, just like he did with his uh, his Domino annual story, like, just throw in some of these little nuggets for fans. And I, I think it's kind of cool the way you put it all together. Yeah, I like I like this one. Honestly, I I think this is this is an entire comic of comfort food. Is it like great and great for you? Probably not. But every once in a while, it is good to get this. And I I mean, it's worth checking out. You're not going to regret reading this on Unlimited or something like that. You're going to say, okay, or this maybe wasn't for me, but it'll be fine. There'll be some good. There'll be some bad. Worth checking out. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, if you are an X-Men fan and you enjoy different eras and different, you know, seeing some of these uh, these creative teams get back together, I think it's pretty neat. It's an interesting artifact um, of, of, of reflecting back on these different eras, even if it's not, you know, perfect. So right. where does this go? So I've got... I, I was just swinging through the list, and I've got a few ideas on this. All right. Where are we going? I don't think this is better than uh, number 70, 170 on our list, which is Uncanny X-Men, I, Magneto. Okay. Uh, where Magneto finally gets some depth. I, mm. I like that one better. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, I like this better than uh, Phalanx Covenant Final Sanction, I think. Okay. Which is at 181. All right. Um, well, actually, uh, due to one of our rankings earlier, that is now at 182. Um, well, right, as, I, as, as our readers don't know, I have no actual internet service. <laughs> I know. So I can't update the list. I know. I know. Um, now, right above that is the Uncanny 341 to 344 Cannonball versus Gladiator and Space stuff. Um, I would put that ahead of this. What do you think? Uh, yeah, that's fine. All right. So like, this is good. right above that, I think God's Country is better than this. I would agree, So too. I'm fine either way. All right. So the X-Men Gold one-shot uh, is our new 182 on the list. And uh, that, those are some, some interesting stories we talked about this week. Yeah, it's some weird stuff. And all that weird stuff's thanks to Brian. Uh, if uh, you want to be like Brian, you can go on over to Patreon.com. And uh, search for Battle of the Atom. It's right there. It's uh, it's on our uh, link in the show notes. They're right there. Go, go, go. Swipe, swipe, swipe. Find it, and it's the one that says support us on Patreon. Boom. Uh, if you do that, uh, you can get a whole episode handcrafted around you. Uh, and thanks to the support of the lovely patrons on Patreon.com, uh, me and last week's co-host Luz Bianca are going to be doing a 12-part prestige podcast about the X-Men anime. Nice. That's going to be exciting. I'm actually really pumped. It's a bad show. It's a bad <laughs> show that Warren Ellis did write, and I'm so excited to uh, revisit it with wow. a very deep, critical eye. Well, especially since you've watched all of that anime in your life. Oh, yeah. Everyone everyone knows me. I'm an otaku. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, what uh, else is going but, on? But, yeah... Uh, we're still doing those articles on Polygon.com called Hawkspox Talks, where we talks about the latest hawks and pox. Uh, 
Yeah, it's fun. We've probably talked about the latest Pox uh, mm-hmm. recently. I haven't written it yet because I edit it and don't write it. Chris and Rob write it, and they're really great, and we should all thank them for their service. Uh, what else am I doing? Oh, I'm over at XavierFiles.com, uh, where you can get all the latest and greatest of X-Men news reviews, uh, talking about things, uh, and no longer uh, fan comics uh, that some people were writing. Isn't that right, Adam? Yeah, um, big surprise even to me was that uh, since we recorded the last episode, I ended up finishing Bish and Jubes. Um, so by the time this episode comes out, the final page, which I think is 38 of uh, Bish and Jubes, the cross time continuum will have come out. You will have uh, been able to have read, read all five issues uh, in just a, a short period of time. If you so wish to do so at adamrec.tumblr.com. Um, and I am currently in the process of putting together the Kickstarter. Um, a lot of people have asked for a trade paperback, and we are going to deliver that. Um, there is going to be a trade paperback Kickstarter starting uh, pretty soon. Um, but I, I have to just push it back just a little bit because um, also happening next week is New York Comic Con. So I will be heading Ooh. to the con um and uh follow me on twitter just to you know if you want to bump into me and and say hello and uh you know maybe even do a cameo on the show uh and say hello i'll be i'll be carrying my recording equipment with me i'm doing some interviews and i'm very excited and nervous about it because i have never done four days at a con to begin with and yet (laughs) doing that and being uh press for the first time so this is going to be an interesting experiment um, however, that is not going to be our next episode. Um, next episode, we are doing Z- Operation O-Z-T. Zero Tolerance, right? O Z T O Z T O Z T. This is the swan song of Scott Lobdell. Uh, All right, uh, and it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be really exciting. Uh, I think I don't remember loving O Z T, uh, but sure is. It's happening, you know, baby. It's happening, baby. Oh, but (laughs) until then, this has been Battle of the Atom, and we hope you survived the experience. Get it!